0: You know, I, feel, I told the, the first service I feel a little bit like Jude. We wanted to start off our, our Currents and Bridges series. Currents and Bridges is, is about current things going on. How can we connect to current things that are going on and use those current things as a, as a bridge? Somebody told me once that the job of a, of a preacher, well, the job of a, of a Christian, is to use the things that people are thinking about to get them to think about what they should be thinking about. So can we use current things that people are talking about and thinking about to talk with them about to the bridge to what we want them to be thinking about? Well, I thought, kind of like Jude, Jude starts his book, I wanted to write to you about our shared common salvation in Christ, and what a wonderful salvation that it is. But he said, then something came up, and I need to... I really need to write to you about that. And I, I feel that way this morning. I was, I was moving along in a message in a certain direction, and then I think it was Wednesday. It was Wednesday came, wasn't it? Wednesday came, a horrific shooting in Florida where, where a, a young man feeling outcast, feeling left out, feeling rejected and dejected by others, brings a gun back to the school that he'd been expelled from, Starts shooting, pulls the fire alarms to get more students to come out of relative safety into the hallway where they are defenseless, and he cuts them down. 17 murdered, 15 injured. It's a terrible tragedy. A community reeling. Imagine this. The the news cycle will roll on. Something else will be the story next week, and yet for these families their lives have been turned upside down in ways that we can't fully identify with. Across the country, others whose lives have been touched by some kind of similar tragedy have that wound ripped open again. You've got to ask the question, why do things like this happen? And somewhere in that question, in the background of that question, is a similar question, is... Why does God, if he's really God, there's an accusation in this, why does God let things like this happen? That's a good question. It needs to be answered. And as I begin to think about, okay, well, how would we speak to that? Why do things like this happen? Because there's something we need to add to the public conversation. Perhaps something only we can And things like this happen because it is, in fact, so normal in our present situation that it it arises very, very, very early in God's story to us about himself and about us. You ever think about the Bible that way? The Bible is God's story to us about him and about us. Who are we? What has happened? What's gone wrong? And what has God done about it? How can we know him, the one we've been separated from? The Bible starts out in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God created humanity. God created humanity different and special and unique over all the rest of creation, made in his own image, in relationship with him. And in enjoying a sweet relationship. Humanity and God. And yet very early in the story, by chapter 3, about the second or third page in your Bible, and it's a big book, it's full of pages, right? About the second or third page in, all of a sudden the story is disrupted. And the story is one of human rebellion, human taking, humanity taking things into our own hands. We want to do what we want to do. We want things on our terms rather than God's terms. Our words instead of God's word on the matter. And so there's this fall of humanity. There's this separation. There's this exile from the garden. There's a distance that's created between God and humanity because of humanity's choice in sin. And then the very next episode, after that decree, after that announcement by God of this is what sin is, this is what sin has done in Genesis chapter 3, after that we say, okay, well, what does that look like? How does that change the story? And before Genesis 3, you had wonderful fellowship and relationship between humans and they with God in the garden. After that, everything drastically, dramatically changes. It changes in changes in Genesis chapter 4, where I think that story, a familiar story, explains to us why do things like this happen. This is a story that's very similar, actually, to what happened this last Wednesday. Things like this happen all through our society, all through our human experience, but now and again, one is so horrible, so tragic, so dramatic that 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 it shocks us again, and maybe shocks us into listening. So Genesis chapter 4, why do these things happen? The first part of the answer is because something has gone terribly wrong with humanity. Something has gone terribly wrong with humanity. Let me read the first couple of verses. Genesis chapter 4, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gained a man with the help of the Lord. Cain's name is kind of like the Hebrew, it sounds much like the Hebrew word for gained or gotten. Cain means I have gained a man. Maybe he's even that man that God promised who would defeat the serpent who has brought to us destruction. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now, that all sounds rather uh, pastoral, uh, rather uh, pleasant, rather agricultural farming community driving up north into the north county and there's rolling hills and horses in the fields and everything is wonderful and there's crops growing and there are sheep and It's a quite idyllic setting, except they brought an offering to the Lord. Now, the offerings are quite normal for their vocations. Cain brings an offering of sheep because Cain raises sheep. But what's explicit in Cain's, or rather Abel, I said Cain, didn't I? I meant Abel. Abel raises sheep, and he brings um, from his sheep as an offering. But it's explicit for some crazy reason. Abel kills his sheep. Abel doesn't bring just a sheep. Abel brings a dead one. How do I know that? Because Abel brings a fat offering from his flock. You don't get the fat offering out of the sheep without the sheep knowing about it, okay? (laughs) This is a blood offering, and it probably echoes what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Remember, something changed dramatically in Genesis chapter 3. And humanity first made for themselves coverings so that they could be in God's presence because God came looking for them. God came after them. God said, Adam, where are you? And they made fig leaf coverings for themselves, the biggest leaves they could find of the garden they were supposed to be tending. Well, God made coverings of animal skins for them. And like the fat offering, you don't get the skin off the animal without killing the animal. And so death has entered God's garden. And now that death continues in the offering that's come. When Abel and Cain, these two brothers, are going to come before, come into the presence of God, Abel brings an offering of an animal killed on his behalf that he can come into God's presence. Cain, on the other hand, brings some of the stuff that he's raised up, farmed, out of the earth. Now, is there anything wrong with that offering from Cain? That's exactly what we would expect humanity to bring, right? Because what did God give humanity to do? Tend the garden. That's what they were told to do. That was before the fall. That was before even the ground is cursed. And now thorns and thistles it's going to yield for you. Did Cain bring in his fruit of the ground? Did he bring some thorns and thistles in it? I'm not sure. I hope when you made a bouquet for your wife this last week sometime, you didn't bring some thorns and thistles in the midst of that bouquet. That would be strange. But Cain's offering, continuing, this is what I raised up out of the ground. What do you think, God? Forgets what has happened. It doesn't take into account that there has been a fundamental shift in humanity and humanity's relationship with God. Now there's a a need for the death of a substitute to provide a covering to come into God's presence. Abel's offering acknowledges that, and Cain's does not. Something has gone wrong with humanity. And the first of all, in the midst of our society, we want to hum along that everything is good. Oh, glad the stock market is doing better now, except when it isn't. And, and, and things seem to be going pretty well with our family. All the plates are spinning, and we think life is just fine, and we easily forget there's something desperately wrong with all of us, with humanity as a whole. And when things are okay, or we think they're okay, we easily forget that. And then something enters in, reminds us of how it really is, and we say, Whoa, where did that come from? Why do things like that happen? They happen because something has gone terribly wrong with humanity. There are calls for actions more guns, less guns. If there weren't any guns at all, things like this wouldn't happen. Uh, in new york city they they uh, a guy mowed down a bunch of other people with a u-haul truck if if you take away guns they can use knives if you take away knives they can break up they can hit one another over the head with chairs there's no way to stop this violence of human against human because the problem isn't with things we use the problem is with us with we who use them some people shouldn't have guns Some have suggested as well, though, in schools today, maybe some teachers should. Maybe it's kind of like the air marshal thing on an airplane. That most people don't know who the air marshal is, but he's there and he's armed and he can protect the rest who have no way to protect themselves. But I don't want to get into those kind of answers today because, first of all, society, one way or another, tries to manage sin. That's what human societies do. We try to manage human sin But we cannot fully, we cannot fix it, we cannot remove it. It is our reality, our broken, desperate reality. Something has gone terribly wrong with humanity, first of all, and that leads to this violent lashing out from disregard and separation. Look at the rest of verse 4 and verse 5. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Violence lashes out. What's going on with Cain? Why is Cain going to act the way that it? Why is Cain going to do what Cain's going to do here in the story? And you know what's coming, you know the murder that, that 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 the story flows into. And why does that happen? Violence lashes out of disregard and separation. The Lord regarded, the Lord received, the Lord accepted Abel's offering, but Cain and his offering, he had no regard. He did not receive. Cain is left out. And so, so, therefore, because of that, Cain is very angry. His countenance fell. You could see it on his face. Violence lashes out in disregard, from disregard and separation. We would have expected the story to continue here because if you notice something happening in the story, as you read through the story, these early verses, you see this, she had a, a Cain, and then she had Abel, and then Abel was the keeper of the flocks, and Cain was the keeper was, was a grower grower of produce, or however it says he tended the fields. And so it goes to from Cain to Abel, from Abel to Cain, to Cain to Abel, to Abel to Cain, and Cain to Abel, and it goes back and forth. It swings back and forth based on the on the names, back and forth. There's this rhythm that all of a sudden breaks out, whereas Cain. Cain, in verse, in, verse, um, in verse 7, Cain was very angry. His face fell, and you, the next thing you expect is back to Abel. Abel was very happy. Abel was rejoicing in the Lord's presence. But that's not in the story. That part's left out, and I think it's left out for a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, there's something about we don't have full joy when others are left out. This brokenness of humanity where not only some are left out, but in our experience, many are left out and separated from God. That affects our joy. So So Abel's joy is going to be incomplete here because of his brother's loss, his brother's separation, his brother remaining on the outside. That affects Abel as well. But there's an even more important interruption in here because God interrupts in the story. God breaks into this story on this issue of acceptance. God intervenes, and God now directly speaks with Cain. And it's about acceptance. And that Cain is not accepted. And yet Cain could be accepted. Violence is often a striking out, a lashing out of others by those who understand themselves to be on the outside. Those who understand themselves to be left out of what is good that others are getting. Those who, who feel that, that you may be okay, but I'm not okay. Or I'm not okay, and you're not okay. Those who, who, who have been disregarded, and they're going to settle the score. Violence lashes out from disregard and separation. A common theme among all these horrendous attacks you keep hearing about is this sense of being treated wrongly, this have been left out, being excluded, not accepted. It's a common theme in humanity and it stems all the way back here. In fact, it doesn't start in Genesis chapter 4. It starts in Genesis chapter 3 with humanity separated from God in the garden. And so Cain's left in that dilemma. He's feeling unaccepted, he's feeling disregarded. His approach on his terms to God was not received, and what is he going to do about it? He's got two choices. In verse 6 The Lord says to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. It is against you. It will destroy you. Man, this thing like a beast will eat you alive. Peter uses the same words. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This anger... This hatred, this jealous rage welling up in you against your brother because he has been accepted and you have not. It'll eat you alive. If you do what is well, you too will be received. God is, God is urgently pleading with Cain. That's the way you read the story here. God is urgently pleading. God is not, well, you know, I just like sheep better than, better than crops, you know. I mean, if you would thought to bring the right thing, you'd have been okay too. Sorry for you. That is not God's approach here. God is urgently pleading with Cain that he would be accepted also. And yet it has to be on terms that recognize that something terrible has happened with humanity, that there has been a fall, that there needs to be a substitute, that an innocent one has to die in order to provide the covering for humanity. That's the big story. That's going to be the center of God's story. We can't just ignore that and pretend, I'm okay, you're okay. But God pleads with Cain to come on the basis of another dies in his place. There's much discussion about whether Cain knew what was right or wrong in terms of offering, but here he's pleaded with God to follow Abel's example, to come the way that Abel came. The, the, it's clear certainly by this time Cain's to do what's well. But what's well, it's not, well, go, go do what's right. Go be a better person. Go, go uh, you know, improve your life. You know, go, grow better crops. That's not what God is asking for here. To do what is right is to come on God's terms. To come through the way that God has made for both of these brothers to be in his presence. God has made a way for that. And he's urging Cain to participate. You, Cain, can be accepted. Cain has the same need that we do. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says that you you once were apart from God. You were separated from God. You were outside the commonwealth of Israel. You didn't even share those national blessings that Israel had as a people. You were strangers. You knew nothing. You had no claim to, no participation in God's covenants and promise through Abraham to a people. He says, but now, you who once, he he said, let me finish that statement. He says, you were without hope and without God in the world. That's a terrible place to be. Without hope, without God in the world. And yet, I would suggest to you that a majority of the people you know as you go about at, at work or school, the majority of people around you in society are, as you once were, apart from Christ, without hope and without God in this world. And it is not a comforting place. No hope. But, Paul says, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ wow we were far off we had made ourselves that way our own choice our own sin our own guilt and yet we have been brought near we have been brought into the family we have been made to belong we have been accepted in Christ that's the same acceptance that that God is offering Cain here what is it to do well the clearest question ever asked in all the Bible is when a, a, the man who had probably overseen the beating and then is charged with securing Paul and Silas in prison in a, in, a, in a town called Philippi. And then God moves. God intervenes. God shakes the jail and all the doors pop open and all the chains fall off and yet they stay there. They don't flee and escape. They stay there. And the jailer's overwhelmed. He knows That his life is on the line here. First of all, his life was on the line as a a jailer with his prisoners now seemingly escaped, and he would now be penalized with all the penalties that would have fallen on them. He's probably gonna be killed. He doesn't realize that they're all still there. And secondly, those whom he has brutalized, heaven has intervened and released. He says, I'm in trouble. And he asked this simple, most straightforward question. Urgency probably leads to brevity. And he says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved from this guilt that presses upon me that I cannot undo? And Paul's answer to him is just as simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Son of God who, who, who stepped into the middle of humanity, who intervened, and as a bridge between lost man and a holy and just God, as a bridge between the two, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, yet God in humanity, dies in our place, takes our guilt as the innocent one upon himself, And dies a brutal, horrible death. And in that, dies in our place that if we will accept his death for us, even as early Adam and Eve, and then Abel accepted a covering that's provided by another who dies, that that covering can be provided. There's an initial picture there of what God would do to settle the question What must I do to be saved? Be received, be accepted in Christ. That's what God has provided. That as urgently as he says to, says to Cain, he would say to you and I, why are you angry? Why is your faith fallen? If you would simply receive Christ, you will be accepted. But if you refuse, sin is crouching at the door, my, my child, and it will destroy you. We read the Old Testament asking, why does God do this or that? There's horrible things that happen through the Old Testament. All this blood, all these sacrifices, all these deaths, and yet it re-emphasizes the same thing over again. Something terrible has gone wrong with humanity. And through the midst of humanity's sin, the answer is always, the, the approach to God is based on the substitute which dies in our place. Those, an, those animals, those offerings did not provide it. They didn't do it. They didn't take away our sin. But they pointed to the Son of God who would. And so John, when he sees him, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of that. Wrap up the Old Testament this way. Something is terribly wrong with humanity. Look at the mess And yet, God will provide Himself a sacrifice. That's a summary. That's what happens. We can't master sin, we can't rule over it, but we can accept God's mastery of it for us. In Jesus Christ, anyone can be brought near. Who do you know? That is far off I think about we do this Prairie High School Oasis lunch once a year in September right we have 900 some students come over and staff come over for lunch and they head back again and, and it's like it's like the locust swarm they're all here and they're teenagers and they eat like crazy and you see them coming over, and they're happy, they're excited. Why? Because lunch is ahead of them. And it's hamburgers, and there's going to be cake. What could you ask for? And they're talking together, they're visiting together, teasing one another, as they're coming over, and they come over in groups and bunches. And yet there always is also those who come alone, who walk over alone, head down, watching their feet, you know, one in front of the other. They get their lunch, and they eat alone. And they walk back alone. Who do you know that is alone? That is being overlooked? That is left outside? Wishing they were included too, but they're not. You know, those are the ones that caught Jesus' attention. He says, I, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to Repentance. He he came and he ate with tax collectors and sinners and he was faulted for it. Remember, he had to go through Samaria. He had an appointment with a woman at the well in the middle of the day. She would come to the well at the middle of the day so she would not run into those women earlier in the morning who probably had much to say about her. He embraces a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery and extends forgiveness to her. He touched her. Lepers. There was nobody more left out than lepers. And Jesus didn't only speak to them, receive them, but touched them. As God's accepted ones, as his own family, as those who have been brought near, we can invite others to come with us. As God invites into his acceptance, we become God's inv- inviters. We are the one that extends his invitation, and Christianity has always been this. Christianity has always been for the least worthy, the unadmired. It's always been for the outcast. Christianity has always been, been extended to and attracted, the weak and the meek, the dejected and the rejected, the dismissed and the discouraged. That's who the gospel has always been for. That's why Paul says it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look among yourselves. There's not many noble, there's not many great ones, there's not many outstanding. In fact, he himself was good. He says sometimes we have been called the off-scouring of all things. We've been called the stuff that you wash off a dirty pan and run down the drain. The world thinks little of us. Don't be surprised at that. But those are the very ones that God seems to delight in. God delights to take those the world walks on or just walks by. God makes these his own special treasure. He writes over them, my child. He takes those who were not and he says, these belong to me. They're mine. She's mine. He's mine. That's what we live in as believers in Jesus having all the acceptance in Christ before our Heavenly Father, being His own special treasure, the joy of His inheritance. We live in that. We need to soak that up so that it leaks out of us to the people around it who des- around us who desperately need it too. We are broken people in the midst of a broken world who desperately need our Savior. God invites us into his acceptance, and through us, God invites others into his acceptance. And so in this world, sin does continue. Something has gone horribly wrong with humanity, and sin does continue, and yet God's grace waits. Sin continues to waste humanity, and yet God's grace waits still. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, in verse 8. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I, Am I my brother's keeper? The implied answer is yeah. You're responsible for someone else too. Even as God asked Adam, Adam, where are you? God asked Cain, where's your brother? The killer liked Cain, The killer this last week, just like Cain, was left out. And in jealous anger, he calls others out of a safe place where he then can cut them down. Defenseless. And then he denies it. He denies any accountability before God. Who am I that I should have to answer to God? That's Cain's attitude and that's humanity's attitude. It's a denial of any accountability, any answerability to God that says there's no official version of what happened here. It's my take on it versus your take on it. And yet the Lord has the final word here. The Lord says, verse 10, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the the ground. Sin is not hidden. It does reveal itself. And now you are cursed from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer. And Cain says to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I could bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and and, and away from your face. I shall be hidden. I'll be a fugitive and a wanderer. Whoever finds me will kill me. Cain seems to be pleading. He's, He's running scared now. And the Lord says, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold, and the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone should find him and attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, settled in the land of the wanderer, east of Eden. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. The problem of separation, of being an outsider, not accepted, continues. Hostility has found a home in humanity. Why do things like this happen? In one word, sin. Why do things like this happen? In a few more words, because hostility has found a home in humanity. And it's always hostility first against God and then from there against one another. Hostility has found a home in humanity and that's why the gospel is needed. The angel's announcement of peace on earth is because Jesus has come. God is inhumanity has come that he might die in our place, that we would have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The UN cannot do that. Our society's best efforts cannot do that. The public defender's office describing this young man who committed this atrocity, the public defender describes him as a broken human being whom we must now save. Yeah, he's a broken human being. And yet so are every one of us. And yet they can't save him. They can't. How do you feel about saving this young man? How do you feel about saving someone who gunned down in murder seventeen and injured fifteen more? How do you feel about that? Really, is that the justice you're looking for? You know, we often want we want. It's been said, mercy for ourselves and justice and and and, and justice concerning others. We want mercy for our own guilt. We want justice for other people's guilt, especially when it's against us. How do I feel about a young man, a murderous young man, being saved, receiving mercy, understanding? How do you feel about Genesis 4? Abel dies and Cain lives. How do you feel about God setting a mark on on Cain to preserve Cain's life? It doesn't seem to make any sense. The surprise in the story here is that God doesn't crush Cain like a bug because that's what he ought to do. That's what he deserves. It's hard for us to have any sympathy for a brutal, callous murder, whether he's Cain then or this man now, and yet God's grace is still here. Now some would drag you into the question. You try to say something about God's grace here, and somebody's going to drag you into the question. So so you're telling me that if this shooter now just believes in Jesus, then he's going to be saved by God, and God is just fine with everything that he did. Can you imagine somebody asking you that question or something like that if you tried to say that forgiveness is possible even here? God would be just fine. If he just believes in Jesus, God will be fine with everything he did. How can that be? Can I be very blunt here? What a stupid question. God is not fine with any of it. God is not fine with any of this tragedy and the human condition that that continues to come upon us. God is not fine with it. That's why God has paid dearly for it. His own son, not only in brutal death in our place, but the Son of God separated himself, separated from God the Father, which had never happened in eternity before. But he bears that separation for us as well to accomplish our salvation out of our ugly guilt. God is not fine with it. But God has done everything about it. Even for me, even for him. Something about the Son of God in humanity singularly making a difference reminds us as well that what one person does makes a difference. We see that in the story. There's a man named Aaron Feis. We know very little about Aaron Feist except that he was, he was a security officer at the, at the school and he was also an assistant football coach. And yet when the bullets started flying, Aaron jumped in front of the bullets. He willingly, knowingly laid down his life to save others. There's something of Jesus in that act. That reminds me of what Jesus did for me. There was an ROTC student He he hears the first shots. Quickly, they form a plan. In that classroom, they had some Kevlar sheets. I don't know why they had Kevlar sheets, but they had some Kevlar sheets in that classroom. They got all the students, about 90 of them, pushed to the back of the room, and they set these Kevlar sheets up in front of them that would provide some shielding from the bullets. And then three of them armed themselves. They tipped over a table to provide some shelter in the middle and they gathered around the door to the classroom and they armed themselves with two by fours and a fire extinguisher because that's what they had. And the plan was this, stand here alongside the door. If that door opens, he's gonna clobber him with all he can with his two by four. And then the guy with the fire extinguisher is to blast away and get as much of it on him, as much, when the fire extinguisher is empty, throw it at him, do something. We're going to do whatever we can to disrupt this guy, even at risk to ourselves, so that others would be saved. A grandmother, a subtext to this story this week also, a grandmother in Everett, Washington, just up I-5. We could have been the next national news story. A grandmother in Everett, concerned about her, her grandson, reads in his journal that he is studying other school shootings because he's going to learn from their mistakes and he's going to kill more than anybody else ever has. He's going he's gonna to take his life in the process, but he's going to go down infamously. and He's going to make a name for himself. If I can't get more followers on Facebook, they'll know my name this way. That's what's going on in our society today. One grandmother made a difference. She called the police on her own grandson. They found an AK-47 that he carried around in his guitar case. I've always wondered about musicians. No, that would probably be the wrong point to make here. One person can make a difference. The one person can even risk ridicule or the rejection of others in order to save others. You try to have a conversation in here. You try to interject something about the gospel in the midst of this kind of a story. Tell them, you know, it's not just that guy with a gun. The problem is much bigger than the problem is there's something terribly wrong with humanity at all. Let your faith leak out in the midst of this conversation and you're taking a risk. They might throw it back in your face. But that risk is worth taking. Because they might also hear you. And they might also receive God's acceptance in his son. This could be the kind of weighty thing if somebody's talking about this story. This could be the kind of thing that says, yeah, you know, there's no, there's no other explanation for that. Except that humanity is unhinged. There is something terribly wrong with us. And that's exactly what God has said. And yet God is the one who has done the thing about it. He stepped right into the midst of it. We ask, why does God allow things like this to happen? There's a subtle accusation there against God himself. As if God were to blame. When God is the one with humanity completely amok, God is the one who himself in his son has stepped right into the middle of it. And that's what people around us need to hear. They need to know we're in a mess. And they need to know that God in Jesus Christ has stepped right in, has jumped right into the middle of it to save us, dying in our place. I want to close in prayer. I want to pray for people that have been impacted by this tragedy. I want to pray for people around us that are trying to figure out what to make of such a tragedy. And how God might use us to say something about his acceptance in Christ out of our brokenness. Let's pray. Father, we do, Lord. A story like this is not, it's not merely an illustration, Lord. This is reality. These are families that have been, have been shattered. The news cycle will roll on next, next week. There will be something else to talk about. And yet... Many of these families will not even have yet put their children in the ground. Oh, God. Lord, we pray that in the midst of of such horror, Lord, that their hearts would not be hardened against God. Rather, Lord, that they would cry out to you. They would need your mercy and your grace. And, Lord, they would would know your spirit's comfort. They would know that through, Lord, the, the gentle. And caring touch of people around them. People who would come to them and care for them in Jesus' name. Who would love them when they most need it. Father, I pray too that in the midst of something like this, Lord, you not allow people right around us to simply hum their way down the street, assuming, pretending that everything is just fine. But rather, Father, let them be troubled by this. Let their hearts be pricked by this. In fact, that there is something wrong with humanity. And Lord, we know what it is to be accepted. We know the way to your grace and your forgiveness and your healing. Father, would you use us as a church? Would you use us in the way that each one could make a difference? Lord, use that one here to make an eternal difference in the life of somebody else. Lord, open our eyes to notice and see somebody around us who is rejected, downcast, who feels that aloneness and needs to be invited home. Use us, Father, in your grace as Ministers of it to others, Lord, as we receive this morning's offering. If there's, Lord, a prayer request for somebody, the the a name to mention to pray for, who is perhaps alone, someone that maybe you, one of ours, intends to talk to, Lord, that we would we would lift up this one together, intervene in prayer that Your Spirit would work. Father, use these gifts to not merely keep church humming along as normal, but Lord, use us as ministers of your grace in this community and elsewhere in the world. We pray it. We ask your blessing on this offering and on these prayer requests, on the needs that are shared. In Jesus' name, amen.